You might know ADP as the biggest name in payroll, but that's just the beginning. Because ADP is transforming the way great work gets done. With HR, talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people. That's ADP. Always designing for people. From the opinion pages of The Wall Street Journal, this is Potomac Watch. Hello, I'm Bill McGurn filling in for Paul Jago, and you're listening to Potomac Watch from The Wall Street Journal. Uh, lots in the news. Uh, James Comey has given a town hall, uh, put put out a lot of criticism there. And meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi is um, seems to be good with going after U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, but not impeachment. And the question is whether she's going to be able to keep that impeachment um, urge contained in her own party. Uh, with me today is uh, the, the brilliant Kyle Peterson. Hey, Kyle. Hello, hello. And uh, why don't we start off, Kyle, um, James Comey, who's written a book and uh, not certainly not been silent since he left uh, his position, was sacked as director of the FBI, came out with a lot of criticism last night during a town hall. Uh, did you catch any of it? Yeah, one of the things that was interesting that he was asked was um, he was asked, do you think the Russians have leverage over President right. Trump? And he said, I don't know the answer to that. Do you think it's possible? He said, yes. Right, which, which is an extraordinary claim for a director of the FBI, former director of the FBI to make, especially now that we have the Mueller report saying there's no conclusion. Remember John Brennan, the former CIA chief, was going around saying Trump was a Russian agent. And then when the Mueller report came out, he said, well, I had bad info. Um, but it, se- it seems very, this is an incendiary charge to argue that the president is either an agent of a foreign government or that a foreign government is somehow blackmailing him into decisions. It, don't you find that incredible from, with no proof from right. an FBI director? Right, and it's one that is, it's the difficulty of proving a negative. Um, I mean, the, the Mueller right. investigation went on for a long time. Um, the, the list of people that were interviewed, um, the list of documents that were procured and uh, rifled through is very long. Um, and yet we're still in a situation where Comey is saying it's possible that there's some compromise right. on the president. Um, it, you get to a point where it's like, you know, can you prove that there's no such thing as, you know, purple elephants living in Antarctica? Well, right. you know, I can't really prove that there's right. not. Well, and he, 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 I mean, he made a lot of charges last night. I think, I believe he said that um, he thought that the Mueller report revealed clear criminal cont- um, intent in some of the president's actions, which are otherwise lawful, such as trying to get Don McGahn fired. But, um, I mean, you don't know that. It, you would think that, as the attorney general points out, that the case for that criminal intent, in other words, that you're covering up um, something that would show you to be an agent of the Russians, if if that's gone, if that isn't the reason, maybe you're just angry or something. It's It's, again, it seems extraordinary for a former director of the FBI to be so publicly antagonistic and and really using the credibility of his old office to mount these charges with no no proof. Right. And he raised the possibility, um, I'm looking for it in the transcript, I forget if he was asked whether um, the president should be prosecuted after he leaves office. Um, And he was open to that. I mean, he said, we need to think about um, whether that's the kind of thing that we want to do to a former president. Um, But he he didn't say one way or another, which uh, to your point, I think really raises the question of why, I mean, I 
realize he has he has a, a book now out in paperback. Um, <laughs> CNN was quick to note, but why, as a former FBI director, um, would you get up on a stage and you know say those kind of things and raise those right. kind of? Right. Let's let's dwell on that point for a minute because one of the arguments um, critics of the president have made is that Bob Mueller did not decide to bring charges on obstruction because of longstanding. Uh, Justice Department regulations saying you can't indict a sitting president. But Comey is, Mr. Comey's right. You can indict one um, afterward. I mean, if it's true that he didn't bring these charges because of that rule, that, then he really shouldn't be a special counsel because what, what are you doing then? If you're, if you're saying I'm not going to bring any charges, um, then you shouldn't take the job. It's, it's meaningless. So um, a lot of this is just, it just seems to me people unwilling to give up the central narrative. The, the interesting thing about the, um, the part, does Russia still hold something over his head? I mean, James Comey won't give it up after a two-year counterintelligence investigation that, that I think confirms pretty decisively there was no conspiracy and the president didn't do these things. So why would an FBI agent of all people, former FBI director, be, be touting this stuff? Well, and that's not the only thing that he won't give up. Right. Um, one of the most most interesting parts of it to me, uh, the town hall last night, was he was asked, if looking back at the 2016 election, um, he intervened um, to, while saying that Hillary Clinton w- had been extremely careless with the email server, mm-hmm. um, he said that it wouldn't be prosecutable. Then, uh, you know, two weeks before the election, he sent a letter to Congress saying that they'd found new evidence and right. were reopening the investigation. Uh, you know, some analysts, ha- looking at the polling, have suggested that 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 letter was uh, enough to swing the election possibly to President Trump. Um, He was asked last night whether, you know, what would he do differently? He said, quote, I think I'd likely do it the same way. That's that's in the CNN transcript. Right. A man who's just not learned his look. um, A lot a lot of the um, the interesting things about um, Citizen Comey is, look, when he met with President Trump, he said, look, I'm not a weasel. I'm honest and above board in my, but every action that he seems to have taken with regard to President Trump was weaselly. I mean, including leaking memos that as far as I understand contained, uh, some of which contained classified information to get a special counsel after he left. Um, he didn't, I mean, the, the when people talk about the bias in the FBI, the inspector general who investigated the Hillary Clinton email investigation said that Every action they took was within their discretion, and he wasn't going to second-guess that to suggest it was done by bias. However, the real, the real claim of bias is to compare how they handled the, the investigation with Mrs. Clinton emails into the investigation with uh, Trump staff. I mean, not, they didn't go to him and say, we have a concern that there might be um, Russian influence on your campaign. The um, the Hillary team got got special deals and so forth. The director was writing her uh, exoneration even uh, before his agents had um, had interviewed them. I mean, it looks pretty weaselly to me. And the defensiveness about it is, I think, what is what is maybe the most telling. I mean, he said, we were facing a 500-year flood. We had never been in a situation like this. Um, but if you think if you think looking back two years after uh, an inspector general has studied this and said that, you know, your, your behavior was insubordinate um, and was extraordinary, right. looking back, if you, if you can't think of a, a different way you would have approached some of these situations, uh, I think that that is just 
Right, and, and, and Mr. Comey's telling everyone else has failings. The deputy attorney general who said that, Rod Rosenstein, last night he accused him of um, not having a strong uh, character. Look, we know already that James Baker, the FBI counsel, and, uh, and Mr. McCabe are under criminal investigation, one for leaks and uh, um, to the press that were un- unauthorized and so forth. So we know that the- those investigations are going on. We know that Congress has made uh, a bunch of referrals of people in DOJ and the FBI. We don't know the names because it's so wrapped up in classified information. And we know Mr. Barr is investigating. And we know that Mr. Horowitz, an Obama appointee who serves as inspector general, he's investigating as well. So there is a lot that's going and you have to wonder um, whether or not they find anything criminal that uh, Mr. Comey did. What kind of shop was he running to have all these people? He admitted last night that Peter Strzok and Lisa Page discredited the the bureau and thought that they deserve strong sanction and – and that they got it. I'm not sure just having to leave the FBI is kind of sufficient for, for the kind of abuses that they, um, they're accused of doing. Um, but otherwise, he, this, these were his people. I mean, because this FBI investigation was done at the top, this wasn't some you know, field office in Topeka that was doing it. These were the people right around Director Comey. Right, and I think that gets to the the issue here, which is the uh, the moral sanctimony that is at play here. Um, I mean, there are uh, things that President Trump is is uh, his own worst enemy, and he is impulsive, and he, uh, as the Mueller report shows, uh, does not does does not always uh, make the best decisions when he's directing mm-hmm. his subordinates uh, to do things, and sometimes they decide not to do those things, which turns out to be right. Uh, the the right decision and. The end. Uh, but the fact that uh, the fact that you have the FBI director just not recognizing uh, any of the the details of what the the lack of collusion, uh, nothing in the Mueller report suggested that there was any uh, any ties to any Russians that were of any significance at the top of the campaign uh, is just kind of stunning. Right. Okay. You've been listening to the Wall Street Journal's Potomac Watch. I'm Bill McGurn filling in for Paul Jago with Kyle Peterson. And we'll be back in a minute. You might know ADP as the biggest name in payroll, but that's just the beginning. Because ADP is transforming the way great work gets done. With HR talent, time, benefits, and payroll. Informed by data and designed for people. That's ADP. Always designing for people. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal... This is Potomac Watch. Hello, I'm Bill McGurn, filling in for Paul Jago today. You're listening to Potomac Watch from the Wall Street Journal with Kyle Peterson. We've been discussing James Comey and the FBI. One last thing, two recent developments uh, this week, uh, Kyle. One is um, a report in The Hill by John Solomon that a deputy assistant secretary of state interviewed Christopher Steele just a few days, 10 days, I think, before the FISA warrant was sought. And in that interview, he he kind of introduced a whole bunch of kind of crazy conspiracy theories. Um, and he also mentioned one of them specific was some hacking operation the Russians were supposedly running out of their consulate in Miami. And the person interviewing him wrote it all down and said, it's worth noting there is no Russian consulate in Miami. So uh, she sent this note to various government officials. The names have been blacked out so we don't 
quite know, but a lot of people suspect the FBI had it, which would put a different spin on the FISA report. The FBI has been arguing that you don't have to verify all the information you put forward if you can say that the source who gave it to us is very reliable, right? You also, part of what they swear to is they don't know any derogatory information about the informant, in this case, Mr. Steele. But the question is, if they knew this kind of stuff, they already knew that he had been let go by the FBI at some point, that he'd being paid at Mrs. Clinton. This is going to, you know, I think I think Director Comey's name is on that warrant. This is this may change things um, in, in a very unhappy direction for a lot of the FBI and DOJ officials involved. Right, and that's the other shoe that's left to drop here. Right. So the, the Mueller report is is one side, um, one piece of the story. Another piece of the story um, is the, the Steele dossier, um, how it was created, how it was circulated. Right. There's a, a Justice Department inspector general that is going to put out a report on that shortly. Uh, I'm not sure if we know when exactly that's coming, but there's going to be a lot of information there um, that tells another piece of the story that right. has, has uh, and the president, look- the president has said he's going to declassify all this information at some point. It sounded like he meant June or July. Right. So there's a lot of information there that may not be quite so favorable uh, to Mr. Comey's story here. Right. Okay. We'll leave it there. Let's um, let's move over to the other big issue: um, impeachment. I mean, in some sense, impeachment has been in the air for Democrats since they took back the House in in uh, November. And Jerry Nadler, the new House Judiciary Committee chairman, would be the man to run it. And believe me, there's no Democrat who wouldn't like to be the man who impeached Donald Trump. Um, Jerry Nadler's problem is that his speaker, his boss, Nancy Pelosi, doesn't want um, impeachment proceedings to begin because she calculates that it will be bad for her party and especially it would risk the majority that she won in, in 2018 that has made her speaker. Do you, do you think she's right in that, that it would be bad for Democrats? Uh, she said that President Trump is trying to goad them into uh, impeachment. I don't think that's actually true because that, that's a high-risk strategy for the president. But I, And I think she's trying to put it that way so she can say, don't do what the president wants. But I think she may be right in her calculation that it is that if Democrats took that step, it might not be helpful. Yeah, I do. I I agree with you. I do think that Pelosi is trying to play both sides here. Um, and it's it's very shrewd on her part. I mean, she's trying to placate uh, a a resistance wing of the party that that wants impeachment at all costs, um, while also protecting her majority, protecting some of the Democrats uh, who were were elected last November uh, from swing districts, from suburban areas. Um, the thing that's 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 interesting here too uh, is the the contempt stuff is is playing in this as well. So there, right. the, the you mean the uh, the the recent vote by the Judiciary Committee to hold Attorney General Bill Barr in contempt for refusing to turn over um, the full document, which means the grand jury information that's prohibited by law from being turned over. Right. And they they also may move soon to hold other Trump administration right. officials in, in contempt. Um, so Adam Schiff this week is talking about how um, he wants to consolidate the date when we take up these contempt resolutions. So they're talking about having an omnibus contempt <laughs> vote where they just hold uh, the officials in, in mass in contempt. Um, and that, I think, plays to Pelosi's strategy where they're trying to they're trying to keep the investigation Investigations going, keep them going slowly, keep them on, uh, keep them on simmer. Um, without... They're trying to say to their kids who are clamoring to go to Disney World, "We're not going to Disney World, but 
here's 10 bucks. Go down to the, the parish carnival or something, you know, and uh, ride in the Ferris wheel. Is that going to be enough? Uh, I think it will be enough. I mean, I, from Pelosi's standpoint, I think she's right. I mean, you get to a point where uh, impeachment is always a political uh, decision. It's a political animal. You get to a point where the first Democratic presidential debate in 20, for 2020, the 2020 election, is coming in June. So we are weeks away from the presidential election, the primary, getting into full swing. I think that you are going to have a hard time selling to the public uh, the idea that, you know, in the next uh, eight months, 10 months, we're going to impeach the president right before the election. Well, yeah, let's let's put some numbers on that. I believe there's a recent poll. I think it's from The Washington Post showing 58 percent of the public uh, against impeachment and only 28 or 29 for impeachment. Uh, so uh, clearly the public appetite isn't there yet. And more significantly, probably for the Democrats is that uh, polls of independents show that they're opposed almost two to one. A lot of them don't like Donald Trump, but they don't necessarily want impeachment. And here's here's Nancy Pelosi's um, dilemma. There's a there's a Bloomberg uh, story um, about about the House majority, the Democrat majority. And says of 31, there's 31 Democrats in districts that Donald Trump won, and about 20 of them, I think, um, uh, or. Uh, came in the last election where they took seats away from Republicans. So by definition, not strong Democratic seats, more purpley uh, and pre- previous red seats. And they came in not by attacking Donald Trump. And uh, so the question is, if she goes down this route, she really does risk her majority, doesn't she? I think so. And there are it's interesting if you look at the breakdown of the presidential candidates, where they stand on this. So the three that have come out um, most forcefully for moving toward impeachment, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris and Beto O'Rourke are all sort of on the the left leaning progressive side of the the party. Um, They're trying to activate the base, uh, you know, get their get their polling up as we go into these first debates. Um, Whereas the more moderate candidates, you know, Joe Biden has not as far as I've seen come out and make any forceful statement that we need to impeach the president, which seems to suggest that he uh, he has taken the temperature of the center of the party uh, and and he wants to, uh, you know, he wants to keep it open as we go into the 2020. Well, the the, um, uh, a couple of things about those seats. You're right. I think the um, a lot of these people that hold those seats are very scared that this that the activists, the AOC wing maybe pushing them to more extreme positions. And most of them campaigned on being reasonable, moderate people, right? They campaigned on health care and so forth, not on Trump. I'll give you two examples. One is Connor Lamb. Do you remember when he won the special election about a year ago in Pennsylvania, one from a Republican? I think he's a veteran. And uh, he was supposed to be more moderate. Well, the, one, of the local, one of the papers in Pennsylvania was asking Pennsylvania congressmen where they stood on impeachment. He didn't get back to them. Same in my district. Actually, it's your district. You live in the same town in New Jersey. Mikey Sherrill, um, I believe, an Annapolis grad, campaigned as a mod, didn't really campaign against Donald Trump, took a seat that had been Republican for generations, Rodney Freelinghausen before that, his father, um, uh, another Freelinghausen. And um, she, too, was asked, I believe, by the Star-Ledger, where she stands on impeachment, and she hasn't declared yet. So I think a lot of these people are a little nervous because they came in touting more moderate credentials. And if they're just dragged by the party, the first thing Republican candidates are going to say is, 
look at them. They pretended to be moderates, but they're not. And from Pelosi's standpoint, I mean, her her goal, her job is to keep the House majority. Right. Um, and she knows that uh, majorities are one in the center. They're not one at the extreme left or the extreme right. Um, you know, it, another thing that that sort of plays into this um, is an interesting fight between the, the DCCC, the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, um, has put out a policy that they're not going to do business with any Democratic consultants um, that work for uh, candidates ch- challenging Democratic incumbents, which has made a lot of the progressive wing of the party mad because they want to overthrow some of these right. these incumbents like Dan Lipinski. Um, but from the institutional standpoint of the DCCC and from Nancy Pelosi's standpoint, what, what they want is to keep the majority. And what they're trying to do is we had an editorial in the journal the other day called the pseudo impeachment. They want to look like they're having an impeachment to satisfy this desire, their more activist wing without actually having an impeachment. I mean, if if uh, Mr. Nadler really wanted these documents, he'd have a lot better case if he actually, if the House passed a resolution for impeachment and began proceedings. The um, courts in that case look a lot more favorably on your information request. But they're not doing it. And the question is, can Mrs. Pelosi stick to her strategy because she's encouraging these people with the bill bar? Will they be satisfied with a contempt finding against Bill Barr, maybe um, an impeachment against Bill Barr. It's, uh, there's a lot of pressure, and it's not just uh, the AOC wing. It's big donors like Tom Steyer who are writing uh, or underwriting ads uh, for impeachment around the country. And, of course, it's the press egging them on. So the question is whether Nancy Pelosi can really keep her grip. And one of the dangers that she has is uh, people like AOC, who are you know more to the left, they're not interested in the traditional things that she has to offer, like a good committee position and so forth. I think there is interest in going on Twitter and declaring their statements, and they're interested in some kind of ideological purity, as you were kind of alluding to. So the que- this is this is going to be a real test of Nancy Pelosi whether she really has it all together. Well, I don't think they'll be satisfied. The the progressives will be satisfied with these half measures. Um, but I do think that Pelosi stands a pretty good chance of, of keeping her grip, as you say. I mean, one of the things to think about is that, that in uh, Congress, the leadership controls, the schedule controls what happens on the floor. Um, so they, they do. But they, look, they, like in this case with the contempt vote, if you had a contempt thing come out of the Judiciary Committee, it'd be very hard to keep that from coming to the floor. And certainly any... Um, any impeachment effort, right? If it gets to that point, it's very hard. And there's a there's another giant risk for Nancy Pelosi. You mentioned all these these moderates that don't want to be on the record. It's possible that an impeachment vote wouldn't pass in a Democratic House because some people think. I don't want to be that far out there. We're not there. Sure, but what I'm trying to suggest is that there are, there are steps that need to be taken toward that process, right. and she can perhaps slow down some of those steps. Right. Um, I mean, is the the closer you get to November 2020, the the less likely it seems that uh, the more difficult impeaching becomes because the more it looks like uh, a political opportunism. And so, if she doesn't want to do that, what she can do is uh, with each of these steps, just slow it down a little bit. You know, there's a contempt vote, and then there's uh, you know, a hearing on that, perhaps, and then there's a House right. vote, and then there's. But they've gone very quickly. For example, they haven't. Tr- they've gone very quickly to contempt. They went like 19 days from a committee vote on a subpoena, from a committee subpoena to contempt, where it took it took like eight months with 
Eric Holder. So when you go that fast, after a while, you're running out of uh, clubs. But anyway, that's that's in the control of the committee chair, though. Right, right. Um, whereas you may find that Pelosi uh, is not quite so expeditious. Well, we'll find out before the next election who really is the boss in the Democratic Party, at least in the House. Uh, this is Bill McGurn filling in for Paul Jago. I'm with Kyle Peterson, and you've been listening to the Wall Street Journal's Potomac Watch.